Breaking the Glass Slipper, we believe it is important to have conversations about women and issues of intersectional feminism within science fiction, fantasy and horror. To continue to do so, we need your help. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Join the conversation by following us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee. And I'm Lucy Hounsom. So I was browsing Twitter recently when I happened across a tweet from Alex Axe. They said, there needs to be a serious fucking cultural conversation about the storytelling desire to turn everyone into an edgy badass that thinks all problems are best solved with violence and what the overwhelming prevalence of that narrative is doing to our brains. It was one of those moments where I wanted to both high-five Alex and shout into the ether. There is something very wrong with this picture, but we have just accepted it. So I thought, why don't we pick this apart a little more? And we are delighted to have Alex on the show to help us do just that. So before we get started, Alex, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, Sure. Yeah. Uh, My name is Alex Axe, and I also write under the name Alex Wells. So if if you feel like reading some books about... um, labor organizing on a mining planet or steampunk pirates. I got you covered. And that's my my shilling for today so that my agent won't yell at me. <laughs> that's very good. I mean, it's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here because you asked me to be here. And I think it's going to be a real interesting conversation because it's like so much more nuanced than you can fit in 280 characters. Because I mean, who would have thought that shockingly Twitter is not a good medium to have a nuanced conversation yes but it is good for pithy conversation so that is true like riffing on each other yeah yeah okay so let's get started on to the conversation for tonight and uh i'm just gonna bring it you know right up um into the literary standards here, uh, and also because I live here in Oxford. But uh, the Oxford English Dictionary defines badass as a tough, uncompromising or intimidating person. Also, a formidably impressive person. So both these uses feel somewhat at odds with one another, and yet we use the word and even the meaning often interchangeably. But why do we find the traits tough, uncompromising and intimidating as a way to evoke admiration. So this is something I was actually talking about with my housemate as I was kind of like brainstorming about the questions. And I obviously do not have perfect cultural knowledge about narratives that are told across the world. But to a certain extent, I want to say that we can blame America for for the obsession with badasses because it is so in line with um, the idea of rugged individualism and um the, this the sort of like oh well the government always sucks and and i'm gonna be ready to rebel against things at a moment's notice and i have a gun which is like such an american narrative it's so terrible but i don't know if it's just us i don't think it's just you but the content coming out of other english-speaking nations is definitely really influenced by America. And certainly, you know, having grown up in Australia, um, I would say even more so than the UK where I am now, you know, all the kind of TV we watched was American. And mm. so a lot of, you know, we just pick it up from the Americans. So, I, I, you know, I'm kind of inclined to jump on your bandwagon there. Yeah, I'll blame America. <laughs> and, and 
I mean, you know, especially when we're talking about like film and television, there's like this whole discussion about the way America basically just cannibalizes all other English speaking countries, film industries. So that's probably a part of it, too, where even, you know, if you're trying to tell your own narratives, we're just like, hi, we're here to steal all of your actors and eat your production company. So everything will be the Borg of American culture. Oh, yeah. Like the anytime there's a successful television show or film over in the UK or the US um, or Australia, you have to like remake them with American actors and whatever. And I'm like, why? Why couldn't you just appreciate the original? Right. Oh, my God. I, the only the only comfort I'm feeling so far is that no one has attempted to remake the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> the uh, Great American Bake Off doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and and then they'd be like, there'd be someone in there being all, I didn't come here to make friends. And, you know, then we're back to the sort of rugged individualism badass thing. Well, for me, one thing I kind of associate with badass is the kind of wanting to feel empowered. And for me, it's like I look at the, the title of badass and say, I want to be able to fight my own battles and stand up for others. And... I kind of look up to people who are able to stand up for themselves. But at the same time, as someone who has quite low self-esteem and that kind of thing, I can find people who are confident enough to do that. I can find them quite intimidating. So to me, that kind of encapsulates how I look at badass. Mm. I mean, it, it's it's very much like a power fantasy as well. Like, because, you know, if we kind of look at the sort of broad categories of what gets called badass, because you've got like, one is, is, you know, the edgy badass with a gun. But then people who also get called badasses are like you were talking about, like, you know, very confident and able to stand up for themselves. And, you know, like, you know, the, the fed up employee who tells their boss to fuck off and walks off the job. Everyone's like, ooh, that's a that's a stone cold badass right there. And they're not quite the same thing. No, they're not. But I suppose, actually, it takes me on to my kind of question about formidable. So in the definition of badass in the Oxford English Dictionary, formidable is used. And that word basically means evoking fear or respect. And I would say that the person quitting their job certainly evokes respect. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because, of course, do we then associate like, where, where is the kind of the violence that comes into this? Because we've got two different examples. We've kind of mentioned, you know, use of a gun, um, which is clearly, you know, leads to extreme violence in a lot of situations. Uh, and then we've just talked about something extremely domestic by comparison, like somebody quitting their job and walking out of an office. So it's interesting that both of these situations can, you know, people in these situations can be referred to as badass. Um where does the where do you kind of draw the line between those two kind of settings you know like can you be a badass in it's not just a, a simple term it seems to kind of transcend situations I was kind of landing on this because I was like why is it like this is you think about the people that we tend to refer to badasses or refer to refer to as badasses there we go get all your particles in place that are doing like the, you know, take this job and shove it kind of thing. For the most part, those are actual real people in reality. Because in actual reality world, you're not going to be like impressed 
by some edgelord walking around with a gun, you are going to be fucking terrified of them in a way that goes from they're, you know, they're not a badass. They're just a terrible person that's scaring everybody. So it's not like in, in, in the real life, you know, the, the, the edgy badass with a gun isn't even really a thing. I don't think for the most part, you know, though you can get like a little into the, the weird, I don't know if it's, again, I don't know if it's uniquely American, but the weird American culture of military worship. But like when we start getting into the realm of like fiction and film and TV in particular, that's where, you know, the violence and firearms and all that really start to come in because I think it just becomes like a short, like a visual shorthand where you're like, if I was seeing this in real life, I would be peeing myself like a nervous little dog. But when I'm just watching it on the screen, I'm like, yeah, that is cool. So we're kind of saying that the our first definition of badass is being heavily influenced by media, um, particularly the film industry. Mm-hmm. I think so. Because you think about it, particularly when it's being like, we're tough and uncompromising and all that. Yeah, that does... That is the thing that does get shorthanded with like someone shoves you and you shove them back. Whereas like in real life, you're not going to see that a whole bunch. And it's mostly in real life when you see someone and you're like, they're a badass. It's because they're standing up for themselves. And most people are not going to stand up for themselves in a way that involves violence. And I mean, I'm not saying it never happens because I, I know there, there have been a couple times where like there's been a video on Twitter um, there was one, I think it was like taken on a train where there was this racist white guy going after a black man and the black man punched the crap out of him. And I was like, that's a badass right there. But for the most part, that's not the situation. What do you think it means that we look at kind of representations of whether or not it's fantastical, speculative, etc., cetera, of, of kind of life a fictional representation and we view it so differently and we hold it up to different standards. People that we read about or people we watch on TV, we don't think of as bad or say if, if they're killing people, but we would in real life. Like that just seems like a real cognitive dissonance. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily healthy. I mean, I think it shows a healthy ability to discern fantasy from reality because, you know, it means I can watch a show where like a bunch of, of extras are getting blown up in a war scene and I can be like, oh, they're totally fine because this isn't real. And I can just enjoy it as like a story that someone is telling to me. So, I mean, I don't think that separation in and of itself is necessarily bad and, and let, until you start getting like some of the weird bleed over where like people are trying to call actual human beings NPCs. But like it is, you know, it is still a question of like, if, if we just agree that kind of that, that sort of violence and it, it is particularly a very patriarchal violence. Like if that is, is what we most want to see, what is that, you know, if that's the conversation we keep having, yeah, that is like, what, what, are, what are we doing to ourselves? Or what are we saying about like, you know, these are the, the cool and important people are the people who are constantly like reacting, um, 
really kind of strongly and negatively about things or, or instead of seeking, say, communal solutions to problems, being like, I'm gonna go fix this all by myself. It reminds me of what you were saying before about how it being kind of about wish fulfillment. And yeah. but the problem with that is then, uh, you know, not to pick on America again, but... Oh, please do, we need it. <laughs> with all the, the gun violence that happens, you have to wonder if it is the playing out of that fantasy where the, the fantasy does bleed into the reality Oh, and particularly when it comes to discussions around gun violence, it totally does. And it's not actually in the way that a lot of, I think that a lot of people think where I am in no way saying that um, by necessity, oh, there was, this person watched a violent movie and that means they're going to go out and murder someone because that is just, you know, I am, I have no expertise to discuss that. One can ask about like, if there's a culture of violence, if it makes people more willing to do that sort of thing, but where it really starts bleeding in, in a way that's incredibly unhelpful is every time we start talking about a thing happened, maybe we should have some more gun control laws. Like, you know, every other country on the fucking planet. And one of the first arguments that people always come up with is just like, well, what if there's, you know, laws don't stop bad guys from getting guns. They just stop good guys from getting guns. And the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, which is like every fucking Clint Eastwood movie that's ever been made. And and like in all of, you know, the mass shooting incidents that have happened in America in my entire life, I think, I think there has been exactly one time that I have heard that a good guy with a gun did jack shit against a shooter. So that kind of tells you how that narrative is, is poisoning, like even attempts to get things accomplished in a really nasty way. Sorry, I was waiting for Lucy to jump in. No, no, I, I was just completely in agreement. I was, and it's also fascinating because like, we can't really comment on this so well from outside America because it's such an alien concept. I mean, like, I get freaked out when I go to an airport and see people with machine guns. I'm like, it's so weird for me to see guns in public um, because it's just not the culture here. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear about you know, that there are narratives that, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised narratives underpin everything, but um, that these narratives seem to be so closely linked to actually to what we were talking about, to to the kind of concept of a badass and to the concept of, you know, Hollywood and films and popular media and culture and the fact that that has bled so um so much into actual legislation and the arguments surrounding legislation. I think that's fascinating. Oh yeah. And I mean, there, there's like the sector of gun owners in the United States who, who are like, you know, open carry guys where like, okay. uh, After I'd had surgery on my foot and I was on crutches, I went to the grocery store with a friend and there was a guy just like at the Starbucks with a handgun, just like hanging out there on his belt. And I could not get away from him fast enough. And my best friend who has um, been through an armed robbery, like every time she sees someone doing an open carry, she is out the door. And, you know, you get these guys that do open carry. that are like, well, you know, why don't be scared. It's just a gun. I'm a good guy. And you're like, how do I know you're just a person with a gun. 
you can't necessarily say that this is a one-to-one correlation that this problem is caused exactly by this thing. But again, I don't think it helps that because we love telling this narrative about there's a societal problem, a man or now actually occasionally a white lady with a gun is going to go fix it by shooting people. It says that like, well, collective action is never effective and is often the problem and only an individual's action that is often counter to what the collective wants is going to solve things. And, you know, I don't think it's the sole cause of say, hideous American distrust in all government institutions, because that's been like a long-term project of our conservative media and a lot of really gross people in this country, but it certainly doesn't help. But I mean, how does badass tend to play out in fiction? Like what kinds of characters do we see other than sort of, you know, as we've kind of discussed, like the, the characters that will go out and solve problems with violence, like what, kind of traits what kind of characters do we see as badasses especially in speculative fiction i'd say like particularly like the majority of the time the baddest characters are are male and and it's been kind of like you know really exciting that now we're getting to have like white ladies run around with guns and occasionally non-white ladies before i go down a rabbit hole i i also do want to say that for all it sounds like I'm really complaining about badass characters, I am not in any way making like some kind of prescriptive thing where I'm saying no one should ever write these because it's a lot more complicated than that. And particularly in like marginalized communities where we haven't gotten to have that particular power fantasy yet, you know, go wild. (laughs) Definitely. But so, you know, yeah, like if somebody wanted to go, you write about like a, a non-binary person who's like a fucking leather wearing badass with a gun. I'd be like, Oh yeah. But you know, it's, it's mostly, I think it is kind of indicative of power structures that, that for the longest time, you know, like the, your classic badass with the gun was like, you're, you're, you're a white cowboy in the Westerns. And then we get into like white dudes in military movies. And then, you know, it has started to expand out to where other people can sort of embody that ideal. Well, one thing for me is that I often see these badass characters as, while kind of very physically capable, they tend to have a lot of emotional baggage, shall we say. Like, they tend to have lots of walls up, they can't really relate to people, they've got you know, that that dark past, kind of that noir element there. But I think that's something that's quite damaging in itself. And, uh, you know, like, why why do they have to be, you know, to be awesome at fighting and, and getting shit done? They also have to be emotionally stunted. I mean, it's, it's very much like toxic masculinity, the character. Yep. <laughs> I, I kind of feel also that there's something that seems to, one thing that unites, actually, all of these different kind of characters Um is a disregard for the rules of, you know, of any in any situation really in the workplace, in school, in but but rules prescribed by you know um, a higher power. No matter the way that they go about breaking those rules or subverting those rules, they don't like rules to begin with. So they operate mm-hmm. in a slightly, very in some cases, anarchic world. Oh yeah. 
I mean, I'd say going to like the shallowest standard, they're they're almost always conventionally attractive. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Sort of dressed in whatever the costume designer thinks like a motorcycle gang might be wearing in that particular century. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, when you said that they're conventionally attractive, I did immediately think of think back to westerns because you know, you have people like Clint Eastwood and the cowboys or like the ones that you were supposed to sort of root for were always the good looking guys. And the ones who were the baddies, you know, were always covered in dirt and a bit filthy and gross. And they, you know, just physically, they were not anywhere near as absolutely stunning as Clint Eastwood. <clears throat> um, I'm all right. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, I remember when I was growing up, like in the, the, particularly the nineties, you'd get a lot of kind of conventionally attractive, fairly muscular. Cause I mean, I feel like the nineties was when it started to be like the eighties and nineties was where it was like all male action heroes are going to be just ripped, but like conventionally attractive, fairly clean cut dude who then beats up a bunch of people who have physical deformities or piercings or, you know, look like punks. And, And to a certain, like, in, in certain eras, it's this weird thing where, like, the badass who is kind of, like, the guy who doesn't obey your rules is also a stand-in for, like, conservative culture beating up the weirdos. Interestingly, because I agree that that's something we've seen in past decades, do you feel like there's been a reversal of that recently where we're seeing people who would have traditionally fallen outside accepted um standards of behavior and appearance have we seen them become the heroes the badass heroes in our narratives i mean i think we're seeing it a little bit like if nothing else i mean the matrix certainly gave us like a different paradigm of of our awesome action heroes that other movies have been kind of like copying since then to varying degrees of success and, you know, everything Lucy Liu or Michelle Yeoh has ever been in probably <laughs> will fall under that umbrella. So, like, I do think it has expanded. But, you know, I'm also not holding my breath for the day where, like, um, a queer, fat, disabled person gets to, like, take a movie by storm and, and get to be the badass. You think we're still a long way off from that? I mean, like, we're, we're still in, you know, in the year 2020, we're still getting told about how excited we should be that there was, like, like ladies kissing for three seconds in Star Wars. Yeah, it's pretty sad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just came here to, like, bring the mood down. Just <laughs> ruin everybody. No, but day. this is why we're here. We're kind of here to have these conversations and to say, you know, this is what we're still missing. Um and actually, our narratives are poorer for it. And I mean, mostly, and this is also like, before people, I'm sure there are people like going to be yelling at their their phones as they listen to this podcast, because they'll be like, you fool, what about this amazing example? And I mean, there is also always a possibility of like confirmation bias playing into this is what I think, you know, the, the, narr- the narrative progression of reality has been. And therefore, I've kind of conveniently forgotten counterexamples or it's mostly I'm just like, or it could be just like looking at the whole, it's still like mostly dudes. And then 
white ladies and then everybody else gets a little bit or it's also like I have not seen everything in the world. <laughs> I am a busy person and I don't watch nearly as much TV as I probably ought to or maybe I watch enough. I don't know. Yeah, but I think the thing is uh, if you are looking at it from kind of the overall perspective, the number of shows or films, books, etc., that actually do represent something that would be from a minority or just even even the white ladies who have a gun, I, it is definitely in the minority still. And yeah, and like talking about um, when you were mentioning like the oh the queer fat guy who could just be, you know, the cool big leader of the film or whatever, it was making me think of Melissa McCarthy because she's amazing. Oh, my God, in Spy? Yeah, she's amazing. But but she's always still kind of made the butt of the joke, even in the films where she's the the lead and she is the draw card. And it does make me sad because even in Spy, it's kind of – you know, the joke is, oh, my God, how could she get Jude Law? Or, oh, my God, I can't believe she's managed to do all these things that she's done because you know, she's just some weird fat woman who's like, Ugh. Like, I, I really enjoy that film and I really love her, but I just wish that it wouldn't rely on it being the kind of the joke or the, oh, my God, can you believe it kind of storyline. Yeah. Where you're like, even if the movie feels like it's taking her seriously, you're like, the entire conceit is that the audience knows that everything is a joke. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason why anyone couldn't believe that she would be incredible. We see her in these films, we know she's incredible. So just kind of play that straight. That's that's fine. And I mean, like, uh, the, the, the all-lady Ghostbusters movie, I, I think there's probably a lot of that in there, too. Because, I mean, it's not a movie that's meant to be taken that seriously. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's still wonderful, and, and, and I, I will fight over that. This is a beautiful moment to talk about um, of gender since we're kind of going into this direction. So do you feel like these badass traits um, play out differently for characters of different genders or do they tend to kind of play into traditional kind of masculine roles as we just touched on? I, I feel like this does, t- this also ties into the discussion that we had for all, you know, had for a long time and are still having like in science fiction about like, you know, you can't see me, but I'm making the little air quotes, strong female characters where, you know, since, since the badass thing is very much like a very like patriarchal masculinity thing. And then when we started getting like particularly white ladies being the, the, so the badass characters, they were basically acting like, the dudes, the toxic masculinity dudes, except they were also sexy and wearing extremely tight leather pants so that the cameras could like focus in on that. So it was like masculine ideal, but for the male gaze, but, but it does, but in a way that doesn't make you gay. So it's okay guys. And I think there's been like some kind of challenging of that going back and forth, because I think it does start crossing into like a really, weird gender essentialist place but it is also very much like well everyone is physically strong and you know everybody ends their arguments by punching somebody out and nobody wants to talk about their feelings and you know particularly 
when it's visual media and they make a woman the badass character, she is generally like very cheesecakey. It's a question of if like that is a space where women get to be women in because that again com- becomes like a gender conversation about if there is like an essential fundamental thing to gender, which I would disagree with. But at the same time, you do kind of look at it and go like, oh, you basically, you know, have have created a female character that's the Jillian Flynn cool girl and gave her a gun and, you know, some hot pants. So we're still seeing the patriarchy rearing its ugly head over the idea of a female badass or a badass of any gender. It's all we're still using these kind of masculine ideas. Well, and, and I think the discussion becomes like, is the badass just inextricably linked to the patriarchy? So would would it be possible to have like a badass as we understand them if it wasn't adhering to patriarchal ideals of dominance, violence, and control? That's interesting. So in a way, we should be amending the Oxford English Dictionary's definition to actually <laughs> include um, reference to the patriarchy. Because, I mean, I would agree with you. Like when we talk about these traits, the the only thing that's jumping out at me that isn't obviously um, a masculine trait is um, this non-adherence to rules and regulations, Mm -hmm. which I feel like transcends all genders and all walks of life. I feel like that's something to do with the human spirit. So, you know, and the desire for individualism and the desire to be free, um, but I feel like in every other regard, and maybe the regards that we see most often put forward through film and, and particularly from Hollywood, um, that's has less emphasis. That kind of the the kind of rule breaking part has less emphasis than the things that you've just discussed about how those people are actually shown in films and books. You know, from everything from appearance to physical behaviour. Hmm. And I mean, it's it's like we could go back through like the, the Oxford English Dictionary thing and kind of like parse down each of the things like, OK, you know, tough, like tough is not necessarily, you know, like a thing that just belongs to the patriarchy, depending on how we want to interpret it. But as it's applied to the badass where they're like, you know, the emotionally stunted, you know, I, I, I'm not going to let anybody get close to me kind of tough, then that is like super patriarchy or like, and, and there's also kind of the interesting thing of like, when, when you get kind of like the, the female, like the, particularly the white lady ideal of the, the badass that we get in movies, you know, she gets, you know, she gets respected, which is what makes it a power fantasy that, that, that I think women can still hook into, even though it's so obviously often crafted for the male gaze. But like, if you think about the sort of badass traits of, of being tough and uncompromising and, you know, maybe even a little intimidating or, or being willing to stand up for yourself when in reality, when women display those qualities, they are not treated well for it. And instead of, of a badass, they get to be a bitch I really like your idea about the 
you know, the fact that our innocent words are being taken advantage of and indeed hijacked by the, the patriarchy <laughs> and these terms. You mean like tough is an innocent word that can be applied to many situations, but the minute it, you know, gets kind of sucked into this concept, it becomes tied to one particular viewpoint and and way of life and i think that's really interesting you know but language is a kind of an ever-evolving thing and i think that could be like another mm-hmm. completely different discussion <laughs> oh man that that would that would be a rabbit hole <laughs> so one of the things i was thinking about when when trying to think about traditional masculine ideals and the badass was basically trying to challenge myself to see if i could think of a character that I thought was a badass who didn't necessarily f- follow those kinds of ideals. And the only person I could come up with off the, you know, just my own brainstorming was MacGyver. <laughs> because, oh my God. <laughs> okay, hear me out. <laughs> no, I, I think that's great. Because um, he didn't like weapons and he only employed violence when he absolutely had to. He didn't like violence. So he always liked to come up with a solution that was kind of inventive or, you know, he would always try to talk to people first before he would, you know, resort to whatever other kind of option he had. And I always thought MacGyver was a badass. I hope other people thought MacGyver was a badass because he's awesome. But he he was, you know, he, he doesn't kind of fit into that, you know, oh, I'm just going to punch people or shoot people or whatever. You know, he didn't like, he didn't want to touch guns ever. Um, but at the same time, what we've been talking about in terms of being a rule breaker, I felt like he kind of becomes a badass because he's breaking the rule that everyone expects him to pick up the weapon. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a, a bit of a breaking the fourth wall of his own kind of <laughs> masculine idealism. I don't know. I, I really like that. Cause, and, and also I feel like, you know, he's kind of more towards like the, the second definition of badass as opposed to the first where you're just like, you know, I am just incredibly impressed by this person because he's he's competent and he he's doing the shit that needs to get done but not in a in a way that if you ran across him in reality it would be terrifying yes although it would be terrifying for me because i think he's the absolute sex but anyway (laughs) 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 you know just (laughs) might might wee myself just a little bit with excitement but it's fine this is the real reason you wanted to talk about him, isn't it? Come on, he's amazing. <laughs> he was one of my first crushes, right? But it does show that that you can have a character, you know, like, there you go. You can have a character who is, like, super cool and super impressive and super hot that doesn't have to be, like, a guy with a gun. <laughs> yes! More MacGyver! All the way. I'd be cool with that. All right. I mean, the... We also... Alongside badass, we also get kick-ass used a lot. And it kind of feels like they're interchangeable, but I don't know, to me, kick-ass seems more explicitly violent um, than badass does. But uh, they definitely seem like American terms, that they've come from America, both of them. Um, But is there any kind of difference between kick-ass versus badass? I mean, honestly, like, I wonder if it's it's kind of like a term-aging thing, because I... 
I hear badass a lot more than I ever hear kick ass anymore. That's really interesting because I hear and I tend I'm trying to stop myself from using it, but kick ass over here I feel has is more popular than badass. Oh. And I think maybe because it's a newer term over here than it is in America, where it probably must have originated from. Um, but I, I, because I mean, I find myself saying it and I don't like myself saying it because I think it plays into the strong female character trope, um, which has become a trope in itself. So I try not to say it, but I feel like it's still very much on everybody's lips and you see it quoted a lot in articles. You see it, people kind of like, it's a shorthand for talking about particularly I see it applied to females more and more. And I don't, mm. I don't, I think it's people's way of trying to say, Hey, look, this woman is as good as a man. And that's a convenient throwaway term for it. And I don't think it's a good thing. Um, but I think it's one of those, it's a bit like how the strong female character evolved where we were suddenly seeing women who were doing kind of, you know, the hero thing. And yet the major problem was that they were being ascribed masculine traits. And it's like, well, it, that's not really a step forward um, because while it's great to see women on and off the page, on the screen, you know, doing these things and taking center stage. Why do they have to, you know, um, have so many of these kind of masculine traits to ascribe to them? You know, those women are strong, in air mm. quotes, in their own ways. So I feel like kick-ass is quite deeply related to that argument and that sense of, and sense of women in popular culture. Hmm. Where it's more kind of like describing this lady can like hold her own in the fight and kick Absolutely. some butt, but not necessarily, oh, she's so super cool. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I think where Megan said, oh, I feel it's related to violence. I feel like maybe that that she has a point there that kick ass does. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe someone like uh, Genevieve Cogman's um, Invisible Library series has a protagonist Irene who is a librarian um and is also a strong female character but in the sense of the she uses her intellect uh, and her quick wits to get herself out of situations um so she's and I really admire her for that she doesn't you know she can fight but she doesn't do a lot of fighting it's all very linguistic um and that's someone who I would not use the term kick-ass uh, when I came to describe her because it's just not really relevant and I feel like the main reason I'm using that is because she isn't a Lara Croft mm. kind of character because I, I feel like kick-ass definitely comes in when you have like the standard establishing you know establishing scene yeah lady who lady who is gonna be cool walks in man gives her crap she kicks him in the nuts or yeah. punches him or something you know and then you're like ooh, she's kick-ass like that kind of thing yeah absolutely and i that's that's the image i have in my head when we use this term but i also mm. feel like it's transcended that slightly to kind of mean a woman who stands up for herself and will not take any shit um, which is a bit less specific than the the kind of violent one because you know a woman who stands yeah. up for herself and doesn't take any shit doesn't necessarily need to use violence to do that. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> I mean, do you think that I I feel like because we run this podcast and we're very much you know looking at gender representation on the whole. I tend to feel like badass and kick-ass, those terms are both kind of used more when describing 
women who take on these masculine traits. But are they? Like, are, is badass a term used for both men and women equally? Or I don't, I don't know. Am I, am I just getting this kind of confirmation bias here? I mean, if nothing else, I'm more used to sort of like the, the kind of edgy badass being applied towards male characters. But there's also the factor of since male characters are more often that type of character, you're not going to get kind of an equal use. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, what sort of, I don't know, like, I feel there's got to be characteristics that we could consider along the same lines of badass, but probably get overlooked because the terminology doesn't, or the language doesn't quite work. But I don't know what kind of language would work or like what we should be using to kind of describe characters who we think are badass. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to to figure out what kind of term we should be using that might not be quite so heavily reliant on uh, violence or necessarily kind of traditional masculine tropes. Another place where, where it's also starting to drift more is like, it could be that you hear, say, badass get applied, you feel like you hear it getting applied more to female characters because it's still unusual to have to a certain extent to have female characters like that in certain settings and more and more it's such a standard thing for male characters to be like that particularly in any kind of science fiction action film or television that then they're just like characters and not like the badass because everyone's the badass do you think in a way that we've brought this on ourselves the idea that you know that there are other there are many other words there are definitely many other words english is an extremely vast language so we've definitely got other words to use that could be applied to a character who we think is badass but the reason why badass is so prevalent and lingers so much and ha- is the one that people refer to the most is I feel like it's become imbued with multiple connotations that are constantly reinforced by our media, by films, television, by uh, cultural conversations. Um, And so badass is now such a multi-layered term, um, all crammed into one convenient word. And I kind of feel like that's one of the reasons why it and kick-ass are just used so often. I mean, I agree. I I think that's a really really well-taken point because... There's also, you know, it also could be that because, like, you start out and badass meant the character who was, like, super, again, air quotes, cool. And then you're like, well, I want other things to be cool. And so it just sort of gets stretched to become, like, more of an umbrella because you're like, well, why can't this thing also be badass? Why, you know, why can't a lady person be badass? And... You know, so so it's the the meaning gets stretched and shift to try to accommodate more instead of us just being like, well, let's find a you mm-hmm. know a different term. But the term itself already had so much power that we were like, we want to use it. Yeah, and exactly. And the more it's used, and the more meanings and definitions and applications we give it, the more power it has, and the more kind of the staying power as well. Like because as we were mentioning, that language is an ever evolving thing. But these ideas, like these words, these kind of trigger words, seem to 
have quite a lot of staying power in you know a language which is being like we're adding new words like every every week it seems i would also kind of bring this back to kind of a metaphor with smoking so smoking we kind of uh there were laws brought in about how characters shouldn't be seen smoking as often and things like that but smoking was always seen as this it was cool you know the cool people smoked the the bad guys smoked the you know the the rebels. rebels yeah exactly the rebels smoked and although we all know that smoking is terrible and i would like to think that in real life people don't still think of people as, as as smokers as cool but i don't think it has actually changed in our media in you know the and again it's the, the same kind of characters the ones who have got those emotional dark emotional problems and so on and they're really oh they're so traumatized and dark and edgy um this they end up being smokers and that to me it's kind of worrying because I wonder how we can possibly move past this idea of badass being the violent, the the toxic masculinity embodiment if we can't even get past the idea of smoking being cool. Well, I don't know. Maybe there is now an aspect of um, self-harm to it. I know it sounds really dark, but I mean, everyone is pretty aware now that like smoking is bad for you you know it does it add an element of the fact that that person is is it saying something about their character i mean since since particularly you know like visual media it it is very much about telling a story with as few spoken words as possible and as much as you can put on the screen to tell character i mean having character smoke is is like a very deliberate action And, and and it so, you know, if it's there, it's because they're trying to tell you something very specific about the character or, or tell you what kind of person they are without needing to waste a lot of dialogue about it. So I, I don't think it's unfair to look at it and, and be like, what, what is this? What is this attempting to communicate to me? And depending on the framing of who that character is as a smoker, like that makes a huge difference. I, I, I feel like at least, you know, because most of what I watch is like garbagey SFF movies. I, I don't feel like most of the the smoking you see going on in there is is intended to make people look cool anymore. Like a lot of times, it it'll be like a nervous trait, or like you know, this person is just you know they have a bad habit. I, I don't know. It's it's definitely shifted in a really interesting way. And then you see movies that are like particularly set further back where everyone did smoke. And it's very, it's very weird. Like, um, God, uh, just the first time I watched Atomic Blonde, which, you know, you want to talk about a movie that has a, a female badass character in it. But like watching people smoke indoors was freaking me out. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I see like a super old film where they're smoking on an airplane, that gets me. Oh my god. <laughs> you see it in quite a few of the older um animes as well. Um as like, you know, the chain smokers in the in the, like the professors and stuff. And it's always it's amazing that I mean it just proves that we can change the cultural conversation around smoking. 
years, it definitely mm-hmm. used to be more of a taboo. And now it, it's the opposite. Smoking has become like, as in smoking used to be the cool thing. Now it's a taboo and now it's the total opposite. So I, I feel like, you know, there ha- there's definitely, be, definitely been a, a shift away from the idea of smoking equals cool and therefore badass. So I feel like there is something that, you know, we can change the the ideas around it. Um, but I think you're right to say that no, even, and, well, something, an act as loaded as smoking definitely should say something about a character that it's not just put in as an aside anymore, especially today, the film's made today. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, okay, in, in uh, the, the books that are, the, the two sci-fi novels I wrote, one of the characters is a chain smoker and it's, you know, it's for a very specific reason because it's it's something that she does to make herself feel better and it's really disgusting. So, like, I, I think because there is just so much kind of cultural awareness around it as an act, and, and so I, I do think, you know, it does signify that, that, that the conversation can change, but particularly when we're talking about something like, you know, much that's much more amorphous, like sort of violence, that that's a question on... You know, and I'm sure violence kills a lot more people than smoking does. But it's like, I, I think um, anymore you see uh, it in, in like media where people are driving, they, they wear their seatbelts for a very similar reason, because it was basically a safety campaign. And it's it's kind of interesting that we can culturally get our shit together on that, but not on perhaps a bigger but much more nebulous issue. I really liked um, your question, Megan, about badass applying to morally ambiguous protagonists and the fact that Mm. whether... Do we allow um, morally ambiguous characters to get away with more than we might do with a traditional kind of cleaner-than-clean protagonist? I mean, I feel that we do, um, but let's dig into that. (laughs) So... I thought that was really interesting for a couple of reasons, because I think if we kind of look at how things have progressed historically from, you know, perhaps the 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 bare origins of what you would look at and say are bare, badass characters to sort of like, you know, the the edgy badass of today and, and the sort of current obsession with the morally ambiguous or just plain shitty person characters... I think there has been a shift towards being like, oh, this, this, the morally ambiguous person is, has become like the cool person, which I find slightly troubling. I mean, again, disclaimer, like, I don't think just because we, people write books about morally ambiguous people, it means that you are a bad person and you agree with the morally ambiguous person, the same if you consume media and find it interesting but it is also worth discussing why we have come to a cultural moment where we want to look at that so much and say why like Susan Collins wants to write a book about how a nice young man becomes a dictator. Do you feel like this is in any way related to the rise of Grimdark? I mean, I know Grimdark is, be- I feel like it's beginning its slow slide into <laughs> like, you know, out of the limelight a bit. And maybe that's because we've all literally just had enough of, of like nihilistic outlooks. 
Because reality is depressing enough. I don't need to exactly. read I mean, dark I've book. never been a massive fan of them, but we, we have a lot. I mean, like every convention I've been to, there's always a grimdark panel and it's always about like, why is grimdark so compelling? And I think one of the main reasons is because that, you know, particularly fantasy and maybe even classic science fiction, but particularly fantasy, um, has a tendency to hark back to the so-called kind of golden age where, you know, the heroes were the heroes and everything everything was whiter than white and it was all very embarrassing really and now that bears so little resemblance to the real world that you know the rise of grimdark accounted for you know the fact that you know people are not you know everyone is is a gray kind of character you know and, and i feel like yeah that's that's a thing um yeah i just wonder why maybe whether that particular subgenre is responsible for making us more sympathetic to people who kind of operate outside a traditional moral compass. Is this not part and parcel of kind of the, the overall more far more generalized and not SFF related at all thing of, Oh, girls like badass boys or girls like bad boys. I mean, I have been told that girls only like bad guys and they don't like nice guys. Yeah, which is bullshit. Just just, <laughs> just in case right. anyone was wondering. It's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think it's like a narrative that, that initially got told by a bunch of, of lonely pissy guys that don't realize they're assholes? And then I don't know. Like their 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 fat their fantasy just spun out of control. I honestly don't know where it came from, but it's it's baffling. Like the I don't know what's worse, the idea that like it would give men a reason to aspire to being an asshole or to suggest that women hold themselves in in such low regard that they would want to be treated poorly. I mean, I wonder if there's like a little because I am not a, a, ba- a historian of badasses and I cannot tell you the true origins of them. But I sometimes wonder if there's like a little bit of factor of kind of like and, um, you know, the, the whole like guys that that view Fight Club unironically and don't get that it's about toxic masculinity being bad. And then yep. suddenly you're getting sort of like knockoffs that are like, no, I'm going to take this like actually seriously. I mean, I, I was kind I have been kind of wondering if, and again, I honestly really hate Grimdark. So I have avoided it as much as humanly possible. And honestly, the, the, the Grimdark revolution almost killed reading fantasy for me. <laughs> oh my God. I, if if Grimdark is finally sinking back below the waves, I don't wish it to be dead entirely because I know there are people who like it. But I just all I long for is is for a book that's about an, a, a person who's good, actually, um, because most of us are actually decent people. Good. That's what I like to believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I kind of wonder if some of it might actually be a reaction to the realization that we live in this like fucked up interconnected world where even if you're doing the best you can in some way, you're still like causing suffering and hurting other people just by the mere fact of, of, 
you know, the, the messed up shit your country did over the last 300 years. And, and, you know, that could be a factor. I mean, it makes me think of like the whole thing with the good place where you're like, even if you're a really good person, you're actually never going to go to the good place. Yep. Well, all is stacked against us. Uh. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, I get the reaction to, to like not wanting to kind of go with the sort of super pure, always righteous, um, classical boring white guy in fantasy because let me tell you i read a lot of that when i was a kid and i didn't like that either yep that is why superman is the most boring of all the superheroes though i I swear it as a grown-up i've come to come around to like like him more but that also might be a reaction to how fucking tired i am of batman and his bullshit (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah i can see that too (laughs) Because I'm just like, oh my god, yes, Batman, I understand. You're you're now a fucking edgelord. Can we just... Who, who, who has decided the best way to solve problems is by spending money so that you can punch them effectively with technology instead of, I don't know, using your untold billions to give back to the city and end homelessness by giving everyone a house. But anyway, not that I'm a socialist or anything. Never. <laughs> Never. But, like, it does... You know, I, I think there's a difference between the sort of like, oh, everyone is morally gray and no one is a really is a good person and sort of the we live in a complex, messed up world and people are going to make mistakes, but they still try to be good people, which I'd like to is see this more the of. new hope punk thing that I'm hearing about? Is that what that means? I have no <laughs> idea what hope punk, hope punk means. And I feel bad because I know Alec. Alexandra Roland and I still don't get it. I think it's really poorly defined. Well, to be honest, Grimdark isn't that well defined considering how many panels I have sat through which are titled What is Grimdark? Explore. I feel like yeah, like it's more of an aesthetic than a subgenre. <laughs> and you, you can't really define aesthetics that well because you're just like well it is you know it's grimdark i know it when i see it because it makes me feel makes sad me feel about like my shit, life and i have to go and watch something like care bears before i go to sleep <laughs> give me an episode of great british bake-off please okay i mean just to annoy lucy i'm gonna say that this is why star trek was so okay, i'm not annoyed it's just that i <laughs> i just didn't watch as much of it as you oh god i love star trek despite it's you know incredibly troubling colonialist underpinnings that you don't want to think about yeah there is that but let's push that aside for a little bit for now but the kind of the fact that they were very kind of they believed in the goodness of humanity and that people could be good and that we could do things in a way that thought about everybody else and that is why I loved Star Trek and uh, particularly Next Gen and I would say you know Jean-Luc and it's awesome that Picard is back and that's cool but the fact that he always tried to negotiate things that he never went to violence as the first resort it was always um you know a philosophical debate and the the interesting things that happened were about trying to understand what it meant to be a good person or to be human or to be you know, part of 
a universe rather than just a world or a country and so on. That is what I loved about that show. And it was hopeful and it was it really promoted the idea that we could do good. And I I really do hope that we see more of that. I'm hoping because I feel like particularly because the world feels so grim right now, that is why I'm desperately searching for things like that. But would you ever call Jean-Luc a badass? So this is skipping ahead to one of the later questions, but... You know, they're, we were talking about like, okay, if we were going to have kind of like a new concept of what we could, we could make our new sort of badass. And I sat down and I wrote down a list and it was mostly women. And I was like, is there a male character that I can think of that would fit what I am looking for? And the only one I could come up with was Jean-Luc Picard. Yay! <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Because I feel like, particularly with with Picard, he is still, he is tough, not in the the toxic masculinity sense. He's, you know, he's uncompromising when he needs to be. He, I would not, you know, honestly, probably if he was mad at me, he'd be as intimidating as shit. Like, he is an impressive and formidable person, but I think what, what makes him so different is not even like his practice of general nonviolence until it is the last possible option, but um, like an almost, in, particularly in the context of contemporary characters, like an almost radical kindness and belief in the basic in, you know, humanity is not really the word to use when we're talking about someone who's dealing with aliens all the time, but the basic, like, you know, goodness and worth of other people. And and I think that that is what makes him such a good character and such an impressive character because even when he screws up and he does, he still always has that fundamental belief in, in other people and in community and in, in people coming together to find solutions, which is kind of what makes him like what I would feel like, not not necessarily the anti bad badass, but sort of a like an answer to it, because he is not like a lone hero, and he is not someone who doesn't give a shit about what society thinks, and he's not someone who is like a rebel and a loner. He is someone who wants to bring people together and make to make things better for everyone, and believes that it's possible for things to be to be better. Yep. Amen to that. <laughs> um, but I am really interested to to know about your list of, of female characters that you were coming up with as as kind of what a gold standard might be. So like the first character when I was sitting here going, what is the trait that I think is the sort of like answer or redefinition is I, what I mostly was thinking about is kind of the idea of radical kindness of um, ethical, moral, ethical and moral strength without violence. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, this person is never wrong. And, and I also don't mean necessarily that, that all violence is bad because obviously if, historically we have seen that, that, there are times where violence has had to happen to address injustices, but someone, you know, like 
has a moral and ethical strength where even as they are struggling through a world that is very complicated and difficult and they're making mistakes, they're, they're constantly trying to be a better person instead of giving in to the sort of moral quicksand of, of just being like, oh, everybody sucks. So I might as well suck too. And that's just easier. So that, those were the kind of characters that I was looking for. And like the number one that, that sprang to mind instantly was, was Fedre from the Kushiel's Dart series. Uh, this is the point where I say, I haven't read that. <laughs> oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> like, I mean, she is basically... Um, like the entire social setup is really interesting, but she is an incredibly smart and competent person who faces a lot of ethical dilemmas that she has to, to address from the, the moral standpoint of her own society, which is not the same as our own. And basically she fixes most of her problems with sort of um, like an unflinching belief in love. And, you know, and, and it goes to some like really fucking dark places and, and, you know, she's like, well, I'm not someone who can like fix all my problems by stabbing them. So instead what I will do is, is the one thing that I was born to do, which is to, to basically take in, absorb everyone else's negativity and, and give them back love. So she's pretty fucking cool. I, I feel like the the other character that I was like, yes, perfect for what I'm looking for is Cordelia Vorkosigan. The cool thing about Cordelia is um, she's she's very much in the the like Jean Luc Picard pattern where the few times that she's had to use violence, it's been like this is the last possible choice she has and. Hilariously, one of them, one of those instances is why she's well known and everyone thinks she's a giant badass when in fact she hates violence and she really just wishes that everyone would be less emotionally constipated. Um, if you've read Empire of Sand, the main character in that, Empire of Sand by mm -hmm. Tasha Suri, which is love so that good. Book. It's a book about disaster heteros. I love so it. So good. I mean, I honestly feel like Mare is, is very like that too because... Um, she's, she makes some really, she makes some bad choices and she gets put in some shitty situations and she is just struggling through it to find, to find a way to like, not only save herself, but, but save everyone she loves in a way that does not involve, you know, because she's just like, I can't kill my problem, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's see. I've also got... Uh, from Naomi Novik's two like kind of fairy tale books, uh, Miriam from Spinning Silver and Aneshka from Uprooted, particularly her. I have read both of those, and I do love both of them. And I particularly love Agnieszka, um, because of her amazing female friendship with Kazia. Like, it's just such a great example of female yes. friendship working really well in a fantasy book, and we don't see enough female friendships. I would also say I, I have to give a shout out to Miriam because I really like that she uses her brain to sort problems out um, and the ingenious way that she deals with the the problem that uh, the Staric King sets out for her is like... And, and she kind of goes from a position of 
kind of having to be the sort of stronger, firmer person to where she she does try to to find a way to to save everybody. So like I, I also feel like, you know, like literature wise, more particularly the, the kind of characters I, I I think of as ones like that are more prevalent in like romance than in science fiction. No, that's really interesting because is what you were talking about earlier about solving problems through like love and compassion. I know these are traits that we would never associate with the badass or the kickass, but like this is we're talking about a world post grimdark. We're talking about a world that we that we you know that we're living in that we don't really want to live in, and maybe these are the people that we need to turn to. And as kind of what you've been saying on these examples, they're all female. Um, that's a great thing for us in this podcast and it's kind of what we like you know love to be able to say is like these are the traits maybe that make women powerful characters and I was trying to avoid the word strong there because uh but you know it's like I think this is really great the, the examples that we've been quoting are not the people who solve problems with their fists and that they you know they use their heart and their compassion and their intuition and I feel like the reason we don't see a lot of male characters like that is because, of course, you know, in the patriarchy, these so-called feminine traits are are considered to be lesser. But, you know, like, welcome the male characters into the fold. Oh, and, and my roommate will, will fucking kill me if I forget to mention the one example that she was like, of course, like the number one treat, you know, fixing problems with radical kindness is Sailor Moon. All right, yeah. Your roommate has found a, a good audience here because Lucy and I are big anime fans. So. The hilarious thing is that when I first watched Sailor Moon when I was in high school, like I did not like her because I thought she was a wimp and blah, 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 blah. And because I was kind of like fully involved in my my macho shithead toxic masculinity phase. And then as I have gotten older and gone back and rewatched Sailor Moon, I am just like, oh my God, she's she's so good. <laughs> I think anime's got a, a, quite a lot of really great examples of like, you know, when I was watching Bleach, which was my first real introduction to anime, fairly mm-hmm. late actually, um, I felt the same way about Orohime and the fact that she's so... Oh God! Yeah, isn't her. she great? But she's exactly the kind of example that we've been talking about. That she doesn't she she uses love in everything, even when she's trapped in you know the um what's it called? Oh, Huecomundo. Yes, <laughs> when she's trapped in Huecomundo, and you know she's with like Okiora, and he's so cold and 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 radiates violence, and yet she still treats him with utter kindness and understanding. I just think that's like. It's it's a real strength of her character and she kind of like, I feel like she underpins a lot of the central friendship group of that series. Sorry, that was so geeky and I will stop talking about Oh no. Beach, but <laughs> oh no, there are geeks on this podcast? Give me the fuck out of here. <laughs> this, and, and this was actually something that I was talking about with my housemate when, we were t- when I was like, okay, trying to come up with my list and she mentioned like um sailor moon and she was like i feel like there's a lot more characters kind of in that line with usagi you know and orihime that are in anime and we were kind of wondering we were like is it maybe you know partially we could we could say there's a cultural difference you know because america has like it's it's founding myth of of 
uh, you know, libertarianism and blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the farmer out on the land who has never been beholden to anyone, which is a giant wad of bullshit. And if you want to know why, just read Prairie Fires. But like Japanese society doesn't quite have that same narrative and, and is a little bit more like social, you know, about people sticking together and less individualistic in that sense. So maybe that's why you can find more characters like that, though. I don't think, again, you find a lot of male characters like that. Okay. So, I mean, other than uh, basically we've come up with the idea that Jean-Luc Picard is, is basically the gold standard. I feel like, um, but perhaps we want to uh, have some female characters, and also I would I would definitely agree because I've actually read this one and love it. Um, Tasha Suri's mare in Empire of Sand is amazing, and I think absolutely she's a great great gold standard character. And I think definitely from this conversation, we want characters who don't necessarily think with their fists, but actually uh, will try other solutions before ending with violence. And that is kind of our idea of badass. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Um, Do you want to like uh, a shout out to your most recent publication or anything? Like what should people go and read of yours that's out now? Okay, um, so if you want to find out everything I've ever written, just go to alexaxe.com or katsudon.net, and I mean katsudon like the food. And I, I guess the most recent thing I, I've written is um, Wireless and More Steam Powered Adventures, which came out from Queen of Swords Press. And it's like a little um, novella anthology about steampunk pirates and... Uh, they're like a, a cool little queer found family. Awesome. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun. Breaking the Glass Slipper is written and produced by Megan Lee, Charlotte Bond, and Lucy Hounsom. Please help us spread the word. Subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you would like to hear on the next episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.